Could you please open your Bible to Romans uh, chapter 15? And that the title of the message tonight is Identifying a Healthy Church. Now, how would you define a healthy church? Now, what would you be looking for? that would give you the confidence to say that a church is healthy? What would be some distinguishing marks between a healthy and an unhealthy church in your mind? What would draw you to a church? Now, These are important questions for at least three reasons. Okay, number one, we need to ensure that our own church is healthy. And we need to have the right criteria to make such a judgment. Number two, we may one day need to choose a new church. And hence we need to know what to look for in a church. Or number three, we may need to help somebody else find a church. Our children may move away. We need to help them find a church. You may have friends or family members who need your help. Or there may be somebody that you're discipling. And hence this is an important question. How do we identify a healthy church? I think often people can choose a church for shallow and trivial reasons. Somebody chooses a church with the most impressive facilities, or the most programs on offer, or the most charismatic leader, or that they have a huge congregation. I'm not saying those things are completely irrelevant. But they should be a long way down the list. But if that's the case, like I've suggested, what then should be at the top of our criteria when it comes to assessing the health of the church? What are some important elements? Well, the closing section of the book of Romans offers some qualities of a healthy church. And what we have in this lengthy closing section is a glimpse into this church and a glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul. Now, having completed the lengthy theological section, the Apostle now gets very personal. Now he understands that he didn't start this church. He hadn't been there. So there was a lot of them he didn't know. And he wants to make sure that he hasn't jeopardized his relationship with them because he has been quite forceful throughout the letter. And due to the nature of the content, he wanted to ensure that he hadn't been misunderstood. He wanted to ensure that this church didn't think he was unloving, insensitive, or presumptuous. Therefore, he's very tender and intensely personal in this closing section. And this is significantly longer compared to any closing section in Paul's other epistles. Now what he does is explains why he hasn't been able to get to Rome. And no doubt this was a question lurking in the minds of those in the church, particularly those who had a bent towards cynicism. Who who is this guy? That this guy can't even make the effort to come and see us, and yet he's written this letter. And man, he said some things that are, are quite harsh. It hurts. Why should we listen to him? So Paul endeavors to rescue those drowning in cynicism by ensuring them that, hey, I desire to get there. 
please know I have had this desire for years to come to the church at Rome, but I've been providentially hindered again and again. And what he also does is assures them that he is still endeavoring to get to them. Because he sees them as a key ministry partner as he seeks to plow new gospel ground in Spain. So these are his intentions as he writes in this closing section. And really it's picking up again what he mentioned in the beginning of the first chapter. But throughout this portion of scripture we learn much about the church. And we learn much about the heart of the Apostle Paul, one of the key leaders of the church. And when we combine these two things, it reveals some qualities that will be found in a healthy church. Now what we discover is certainly not exhaustive, and much more could be added. But there are seven marks of a healthy church found in our text. And what I've done, I'm hoping this makes it more memorable, I've arranged these qualities around an acronym. The acronym is HEALTHY. So let's consider the qualities of a healthy church as revealed in this closing section in the book of Romans. So quality number one, a hunger for the words. A healthy church will have a hunger for the words. A healthy church will be one that loves the Bible and has a hunger to be fair, that they want to grow, that they want to possess a great understanding of the Bible. Now, if you have been a Christian for any period of time, you will know from personal experience that when things are going well for you spiritually, you love to read and study the scriptures. Okay, there's delight in the words. And this is also true corporately. Okay, the healthy church will love the word will have a hunger for it. It will have a good grasp of biblical truth. Okay, this is referred to as biblical literacy. Okay, a healthy church will know their Bible. will have a competent grasp of the scriptures. And this was true of the church at Rome. Notice in verse 14, Paul says they were filled with all knowledge. Now this is speaking of spiritual knowledge and understanding. Now, this doesn't mean they had all gone to Bible college. It wasn't that they were all graduates of seminary. But they did possess a thorough and a practical understanding of the Christian faith. They were doctrinally sound. They had a deep knowledge of the gospel. Paul hadn't written to them because they had a weak and shallow grasp of scriptural truth. And hence possessed a lack of desire for the word. That, That wasn't the motive. But rather, this church was like the early church. Did you remember in Acts chapter 2? We have there a description of a healthy, spirit-filled church. And the first quality that's listed is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There was a hunger for the word. There was a love for preaching. And this was true of the church of Rome and of all healthy churches. In verse 19, where Paul is speaking about his ministry, he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. This was what his work was all about. A preaching-centered ministry. And it will be this that a healthy church possesses. Preaching the Bible will be a main part of the life 
of that church. Okay, a church who minimizes and trivializes preaching will be a weak church. Okay, the centrality of the preached word and the standard of the preached word says much about the health of a congregation. Okay, if preaching is not primary and if the quality is not great, okay, when I'm talking about quality, I'm meaning the preacher is not preaching the text. Okay, if this is the regular practice of a church, then it's not healthy. Because understand, the preacher's job is to feed the sheep. And if there is no healthy sustenance, that impoverishes the church. So the healthy church will value and appreciate quality preaching. There will be a hunger for the word, a desire to be taught and to study the scriptures. And they will know their Bibles because they've spent so much time in them. So our question for us as a church, question for you as an individual, are you hungry for the word? Okay, because here's the thing, and this is how it will apply at every single point through this message. For us to have this quality corporately, we need to possess it as individuals. Okay, there can never be a healthy church corporately without healthy Christians individually. So, do you have a hunger for the word? Do you desire to read the Bible for yourself? Is this part of your daily life? Okay, delighting in the scriptures. Is this something you, you look forward to? You want to do? Okay, do you listen intently to the sermons? There are three every week in our church. Many spiritual meals are cooked and served. But you need to eat. You need to partake. Are you engaged? Are you responding to the word? Do you have a knowledge and understanding of the Bible? Do you know the gospel? Do you know basic Bible doctrine? Do you know the big story of the Bible and how it all fits together? Or are you biblically illiterate? You know, it's a great shame that it seems many churches are becoming more and more biblically illiterate. They don't know the Bible. They don't esteem preaching. And hence, they are not a healthy church. Number two, a healthy church will be evangelistic. You know, an easy test to determine the quality of a church is by seeing whether they are missional. Okay, whether they are missional. Okay, are they missional in their own community, in their own country, and throughout the world? Are they concerned about the spread of the gospel? Are they engaged in missions? Okay, a church that is only concerned about what happens inside its four walls is very unhealthy. Now, the drive and passion of the apostle for missions is astonishing. Okay, his heart was filled with a burden for the lost. Even at this stage of his life, he's near the end of his life. He's been serving the Lord faithfully for years and yet the evangelistic fire still burned brightly. And this is seen in our text. We learn of the amazing work that the Lord did through Paul. He desired to preach the gospel everywhere. Verse 19 tells us he'd gone from Jerusalem to Acrylium, which is Italy, Germany area. And his mission was to preach the gospel to those who have not heard. He's desiring to reach the unreached. Verse 20 says, yea, 
So have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. So we could say he was about plowing new ground. He had a desire for all people to know about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 16, he refers to himself as a minister of Jesus. There are actually numerous Greek words for minister. And the one he chose has to do with priestly service. So his ministry was an offering to the Lord. And here's the astonishing thing. By God's grace, so much had been accomplished. But the apostle was not content to sit back in his rocking chair and enjoy retirement. Now, how easy it would have been for Paul. Well, all, all of this area, I've done so much. It's time for me to pass on the baton. Okay, I need to put up my feet and rest and do some fishing or, or whatever he was interested in. But that's not his mentality. But rather, he wants to go to the next place. I've reached everyone here. Where, where can I go now? And it was Spain that was on his heart. Notice verse 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain. That there was a new land that he desired to conquer with the gospel. And this is what I want you to notice. He needed Rome's help. Okay, he wanted this church to partner with him. Please look at verse 24. It says, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Okay, he's asking them to help him on his missionary endeavor. Okay, be brought on my way thitherward by you. He needed the help. He needed material support. And he most definitely coveted their prayers. But we see here that a healthy church will be involved in missions, okay, that the church in Rome was to assist, was to enable Paul to go out. Okay, a healthy church will be concerned about its own community. Okay, a church that has no concern about outreach at all is incredibly unhealthy. In fact, it's very sick. But the church is also to be partnering with others in the spread of the gospel. It, it is to enable others and support them in the work of missions, give them the money that they need to reach souls, be praying fervently for them as they seek to share the gospel with others. Now, most of us are unable to go as missionaries. Okay, the Lord has not called all of us to go to a foreign land to reach the unreached. Now, perhaps there are a few in our church burdened that way, that would be super exciting. But we are all called. To help others. As a church, we can enable missionaries to do the Lord's work. Okay, that this is the job of the healthy church. As William Carey famously told his friend Andrew Fuller before leaving for India, he said, I will go down into the pit if you hold the ropes. Not every Christian can go to another land. Not every Christian can be involved in cross-cultural missionary work. But every healthy church will be involved in holding the ropes. A church that isn't concerned about missions is sick. Oh, it's true, different congregations have different capacities, I understand that. But if a church never prays, never gives, never mentions missions, then that church is very unhealthy. Number three, a healthy church will be affectionate. It's hard to overstate the importance of love in a church. 
Unity, harmony, and love amongst the brethren are all marks of a healthy church. That's the message of the New Testament. Now something that strikes me in the final chapter of this book, Romans chapter 16, there are 33 individual names, and 24 of those are in the church at Rome. So it's evident that Paul knew lots of people, and he cared for lots of people, despite never going to this church. Now, when we think of the great apostle, I'm not sure what comes to your mind straight away. Usually we think of this brilliant theologian, this pioneer missionary, this powerful preacher. And that's all true. But what's clear is that this guy loved people. He had a care and compassion for his fellow believers. You know, it's been suggested that this list of names could have been his personal prayer list, and that wouldn't surprise me. But it's very evident that Paul had a passion for people. Love for others was surging through his veins. Now, I want you to notice the diversity of this list in Romans 16. Okay? There, there were many women in this list. So we learn that Paul valued and esteemed women in the church. Okay, the apostle is not some woman hater like he's often accused. But understand, in this time, okay, the society in which he lived, Paul would have been accused of hardcore feminism. Okay, because he treated women completely different to how his society did. Also in this list, there were both Jew and Gentile. There was love for both. There were some older folk. In verse 7, there was a couple who were converted before Paul, making them aged Saints, So there's much diversity in this church. And that's often a sign of health. A church is meant to be diverse, made up of both genders, all ages, different cultures and backgrounds. That's the beauty of the church. And there is to be love extended to all, no matter our differences. And there are several things throughout the text that reveals an affection within this church. In verse 14 of chapter 15, the church at Rome is commended for being able to admonish one another. This speaks of counseling, of encouraging, of exhorting and even rebuking. And this is a compliment, meaning they did this well. And understand for this to be done well, it demands love. If you don't love You're not going to confront somebody else, or if you do, it certainly won't be done well. But this reveals that they were involved in each other's lives. They cared enough to to speak gospel truth into the lives of one another. But not only this counseling ministry, there was also meeting the physical needs of others. Paul speaks of an offering that had been taken up amongst the churches. Now, Now, this wasn't the church at Rome, this was other churches. But it was being taken up to help those in Jerusalem who were in poverty. We read of this from verse 25 down to 28. And understand, this was Gentiles giving to Jews. And that's completely unheard of before the church. It would be like today, you know, Al-Qaeda giving to America. Okay, you You wouldn't read of that. So this reveals that the quantity and quality of love... That existed in the church. That it would break down these social barriers. And we also see in verse 30 of chapter 15. Paul is planting the seed in the minds of this church. 
that they may be able to assist him with his future missionary endeavors. And he says in verse 30, for the love of the Spirit. Okay, so this speaks of the love that the Spirit inspires. Okay, the Holy Spirit pours love into our hearts and it comes oozing out into our relationships. And that will manifest itself in prayer. That's the connection in this verse. But understand this. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will love your fellow believers. Okay, because this is something that the Spirit produces. Hence, the healthy church will be a loving church. It will be one that shows affection. One that prays for each other. One that opens their homes. That there will be involvement in each other's lives. There will be unity. There will be harmony. Love will be overflowing. That church will be welcoming. It will be inviting. It will be inclusive and friendly. There will be great care and concern extended to others. You know, the church is to be full of people who love others. The church's heart is meant to beat with affection. You know, can you honestly say that you love your brother's and sisters, okay, can you say that in good conscience? What do other people think when they visit our church? You know, they have like secret shoppers in shops. They assess what the quality of a shop is like. If someone did that in our church, what would be their assessment? What would their report say? Okay, what would they say? It's very evident that the folk at Condal Park that they love each other. It's it's so clear. Or or in their reports, would it say? No, there's, there's very little love in that church. You know, they are good questions for us to ponder. Now, number four is the lifestyle of a healthy church. Right, you know, church's concern about holiness and godliness is an integral ingredient to spiritual health. You know, personal holiness, how one lives their life, is often something that's ignored in the modern church. Okay, there's an emphasis on love, there's an emphasis on grace, but this has led to an attack on personal holiness. How we live isn't seen as important, but understand, that's not consistent with Scripture. Now, when the lifestyle of a church is assessed, the important question is this. What are the true indicators of holiness, godliness, and a biblical lifestyle? And it's here where people can go very wrong in their assessment. And this is often why holiness is ostracized. So understand this. We're not talking about wearing a suit and tie. That does not determine spirituality. Anyone can wear a suit and tie. We're not talking about all the ladies having ankle length skirts. That does not determine godliness. A certain hairstyle does not mean one is godly or not. But rather character. Character is what needs to be assessed. Notice in verse 14, okay, Paul, he's very complimentary. He says, ye also are full of goodness. This term goodness, it speaks of virtue, of being good and doing good. It's moral uprightness. You know, as a child, when my mom and dad would leave me with my grandparents, the final departing words were always this, Brendan, be good. I love you. Make sure you are good. That was always stressed at least to me. I'm not sure about my sister, but it was stressed to me. And what's meant by that is make sure you behave yourself. Do the right thing and not the wrong thing. 
And this is what's encapsulated in this term goodness, doing the right thing, obeying the Bible, a love for righteousness, a hatred for sin, doing good things for others. This is goodness. Now, what's interesting? A long time ago, we're in Romans chapter 3. And there Paul said, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. That there is none that is righteous. But, but now he's saying they are filled with goodness. How can this be so? Well, here's the key point. Goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Same word, it's found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. In Ephesians 5, 9, it is again referred to as a fruit of the Spirit. So in our flesh, nothing is good. But, but as the Spirit works in our lives, it's possible to be filled with goodness. Okay, and understand this goodness, this fruit of the Spirit, this is not just for the super-Christians. This is not just for the elites. But rather, this is a normal condition for the everyday Christian. And this is the criteria to be used to judge the lifestyle of a church. Is the fruit of the Spirit obvious in that congregation? Because if the Holy Spirit is alive, if the Holy Spirit is active in a church, guess what we'll see? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The tree will have fruit. This is an indicator of spiritual life and health. But understand, for a church to be like this, the individual members need to be walking in the Spirit. So understand, your lifestyle, how you live, says something about our church. Please remember that. How you live throughout the week is saying something about the Gospel, about our church, and about Jesus Christ. So how we live certainly matters. Jesus is very concerned about our lifestyle. And what would an unbiased observer say of our church again if there was someone in secret assessing our church would they easily and readily identify the fruit of the spirit for that's the mark of a healthy church number five a healthy church will be theological you know in the times that we live there's not a huge concern about theology Oh, people often restrict theology and doctrine. Well, that, that's for the pastors. That's for the seminary. That, that's for Bible college. That's for those academics, the, the scholars who, who write those you know, huge books that we can never get through. And then in the church, well, hey, there's a greater concern about practicality. Okay, what, what, what can I do? What, what's the church doing? Now, now, that's not irrelevant, but understand we can't have practicality to the exclusion of theology. That doesn't work. Because what we believe is the engine that drives what the church does. Right belief leads to right practice. And hence a healthy church will be concerned about theology. And will guard what the church believes. It will know what it believes. It will preach and teach what it believes. And it will confront anything that contradicts what it believes. A healthy church will be concerned and passionate about doctrine. Okay, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 16 contain an earnest exhortation. It says this, 
Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul wants this church to be concerned about doctrinal purity. And I want you to notice the standard. He says, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. So in other words, to to be true, it had to agree and be consistent with what had been delivered to the church already. Teaching that deviated from the apostolic teaching was false and it was to be rejected. Now for us today, true doctrine is consistent with revealed truth. The Bible is the standard. So for a church, a church ought to have a doctrinal statement, a a statement of faith or or a catechism that they hold to, that they believe is faithful to the Bible, and they should teach it, encourage the people to know it, love and live it. And according to Paul's word here, anything that deviates from the truth needs to be dealt with. It can't be ignored. It needs to be marked out and avoided. A healthy church will be very concerned about correct beliefs. A church that minimizes theology and doctrine will end up being quite a weak church and very susceptible to being blown here and there. You know, they'll be like that tumbleweed that just gets blown through the desert because they have no firm beliefs that is anchoring them. You know, a healthy church will have preaching that's rich in theology and doctrine. It will have people that Love it. There will be a willingness and swiftness to confront error. Falsehood cannot be tolerated within a church. Okay, false doctrine is like a white ant that subtly eats away at the structure of the church, and hence it needs to be eradicated. But a church that's not willing to take a stand on doctrine, no matter what the cost may be, but, but tries to be accepting and tolerating of everyone, is not healthy. And we see that in a lot of mainline churches in Australia. The healthy church will stand firm on sound doctrine. Number six, a healthy church will honour the Lord. Now, have you ever worked in a group? Maybe it was in an assignment or an assessment when you were studying. Or perhaps it was a project at work. And there was one or two members who were very lazy. And they were quite incompetent and they didn't pull their weight. And then when you know, the marks come and the boss is giving praise, they want to take all the glory. They want to take all the honor. And they pretend as though, well, hey, this wouldn't happen if it wasn't for me. They brag and they boast like they were the leading contributor. That's very frustrating, isn't it? Okay, we don't like that. And this was something that the Apostle Paul was very careful not to do in his life. It is the understatement of the year to say that he enjoyed some ministerial success. He's one of the most influential people in history. But please notice how he thought through his success. Let's read from verse 17 of chapter 15. It says, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about unto Icrillium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. 
So Paul here is, is proud, okay, in a good sense, of all that's been accomplished. Okay, he's glorying in the ministerial success. This is something to be celebrated, but here's the key point. He doesn't glory in himself. Okay, this isn't about Paul, but he glories in what Jesus has done through him. Okay, he speaks of the power of the Spirit. This is what made it possible. If it wasn't for the Spirit, this wouldn't have happened. Okay, and he also says he would not speak of things that Christ hath not wrought. Okay, so, so in other words, he doesn't view himself as a partner with Jesus, but rather a vessel that Jesus used in amazing ways. Okay, he, he's just an instrument. And hence he celebrates, he glories in all that Christ has done. But he ensures that the spotlights, the attention, the accolades, they go to Christ, not Paul. He realizes that all that was accomplished was because of the Lord, not because of him. Now, of course, he had a role to play. But his function was to be a willing vessel, a usable instrument. But all of the success was down to the Lord. And he ensured that all the glory went to him. Okay, Paul was not a glory thief. And we see in the closing verses of chapter 16, his desire is that God would be glorified. Okay, it's all about the Lord. In verse 25, he acknowledges that it was God's power at work. In verse 27, he wants Jesus Christ to receive all the glory. This was Paul's ministerial philosophy. He wanted the Lord to be honored and glorified. He wanted him to receive all the accolades, all the honor for the success. But we also see that Paul honored the Lord by being submissive to his will. Okay, this is very clear in chapter 15. That there had been numerous providential hindrances. It stopped Paul from getting to Spain. Okay, he wanted to go to Spain. That was his heart's desire. But, but the Lord kept holding him back. Okay, Good desire. I, I want to share the gospel in Spain. But, but it doesn't happen. But for Paul, that, that was okay. That, that was God's will for him. Okay, notice in verse 32 in chapter 15. He says that I may come unto you with joy. Notice this phrase. By the will of God. Okay, so he, he made plans, but, but they were open to change as God saw fit. Okay, so Paul honored the Lord, and he desired that all churches do the same thing. My friend, a healthy church will honor the Lord. It will be submissive to God's will and his providence, even when it means things don't go to plan. And it will be quick. To give God all of the credit when success is enjoyed. The healthy church is not about glorifying man. It's not about glorifying itself, but glorifying the Lord. The healthy church doesn't shine the spotlight on itself, but on the Lord. Okay, the healthy church, it's not full of pride. Okay, look at how great we are. We're so much better than others. Look at what we're doing compared to other churches. Aren't we amazing? doesn't seek to constantly build itself up and tear others down, but rather give all the glory, all the honor, all the credit to the Lord. And not just say it. It's very easy to say all glory to God, but inside you're lapping it up. It's not just saying it, but it's actually meaning it. That's the sixth mark of a healthy church. The seventh is that a healthy church will yearn to serve others. You know, church, 
is not a spectator sport. Church is not a spectator sport. It's not a place where you come to merely fill the pew or fill the comfortable chairs in our church. Nor is it just a consumer experience where where you just receive, receive and receive it and give nothing back. Please understand, church is about being involved. Church is about serving and loving the Lord and loving others. It's giving, not just taking. It's ministering, not just being ministered to. Again, this is clear in our text. Notice in the list of names in chapter 16. Okay, the first name is Phoebe. And she's known to succor others. This means to care for the affairs of others. Aiding with resources. In verse 6, we're told Mary had labored. That this speaks of serving to the point of physical exhaustion. The same thing is said in verse 12. Some different ladies. In verse 5, one's home had been opened up for the church to meet in. So it's obvious that this church is busy serving and ministering. And my friend, a healthy church will be like this. It will be active. It will be serving others. That the healthy church will be working hard for the benefit of others. Seeking to bless and strengthen someone else. It will be a team effort to make sure things are getting done. Okay, that the healthy church won't be filled with, with lazy attendees who are just sitting on the bench and doing nothing and then criticizing those who are actually playing the game. It has been said of the church that often 20% of the people do 100% of the work. And unfortunately, that's often true. But that's not healthy. That's not right. All need to be Involved, but be engaged in the lives of others, be ministering in the church, be, be serving and laboring for God's kingdom and for the good of others. And again, this needs to become a personal question. For a church to be healthy, the individual people must make the decision to serve others. Okay, you, you must make the decision that, hey, I, I'm going to be engaged. I, I'm going to be Involved, I'm going to pour myself into the church and into lives of others. I'm going to use my spiritual gifts for God's glory and for the benefit of my brothers and sisters. I'm going to put my hand up and serve so another brother or sister can take a weight off them so it doesn't drive them into the ground. Okay, you, you have to make those decisions. Okay, for us to be a healthy church, the individuals need to make the call to serve, to be involved, to be engaged in the lives of others. And I hope you'll think about this. And if you're not involved, that you would put your hand up to get involved. Because this will increase the health of our church. So there are seven marks of a healthy church. Okay, this list is not exhaustive. I, I reckon I could give you another seven in about 30 seconds. Okay, that there are many things that could be added. But if this is followed, it will certainly help somebody choose a healthy church. And if we as a church have these qualities, okay, we will be well on the pathway to being a healthy church. But please understand, for us to be a healthy church, it requires a commitment from you. The individuals who make up the church. We all need to have these seven qualities in our life. And hence, self-reflection 
is required. You know, pray that the Lord would remove your, your spiritual blindness to your own flaws and failures. Okay, we're often blinded to, to our own issues. Ask the Lord to help you assess accurately. How can you become a healthier member? Because that will help the health of the church. And what I'd encourage you to do is work your way through the acronym. H, hunger for the word. Do you have this hunger? Are you like the baby who wants milk? It's like, man, if we were all like Archie, we would be a very healthy church. My boy, he loves milk. Does that describe you? Are you like Archie? Do you want preaching? Do you want to read and study the Bible or is that lacking? E, evangelistic. Are you engaged in personal evangelism, seeking to share the gospel in your daily interactions? Are you giving to missions? Are you praying for the missionaries? A, affection. Do do you love your fellow believers? Are you involved? Are you engaged in the lives of others? Are you praying for others? That's something very simple that we can all do. L, lifestyle. What, What is your life? What does how you live say about the church? About the gospel? And about Jesus Christ. Understand it says something. Okay? It's not neutral. It either says something positive or something negative. T. Theological. Do you have a desire to know and defend theology? Are correct beliefs something that matters to you? Do, do you know what you believe? H. Honoring the Lord. Are you quick to give The glory to God for the good things in your life. Are you submissive to God's will and God's providence even when it's not favorable? And why? Yearning to serve. Are you active in our church? Are you serving others? Are you using your gifts? We all need to have a good look in the spiritual mirror. Honestly assess our lives. And ask this question. Do I make my church healthier or less healthy? That's the piercing question that I want you to reflect upon as we leave. Do I make my church healthier or less healthy? My friend, understand the church is something that Jesus Christ cares about immensely. He died for the church. He's building his church. And it is his desire that the local church be healthy, that it honors him, that that it shines the gospel light brightly, and that it's a place of love and spiritual growth for the Christian. And may we be a church that our Lord smiles upon, and with his help, may we be a healthy church, one that Jesus is happy to build. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that that you would help us as a church to be becoming more and more healthy. May may these seven qualities be be present in our church, but may they be growing. May they be increasing uh, in our church. Help us, Lord, as individuals to honestly reflect upon ourselves. And ask the question, you know, am I making my church 
more healthy or, or less healthy. Father, please help us to, to be a church that, that pleases you and that honours and glorifies you. That is a place of much spiritual growth and a lighthouse for the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake.